Welcome to another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. And Jonesy, we've got another jam show coming at folks for this week. But before we get to our guests, oftentimes, and I'm, I'm bringing you behind the velvet curtain here, folks, oftentimes we try to keep things a little more um, generic in the sense that we don't want to be too time-specific because, hey, if you're listening to us live, great. But if you're not catching us for a couple of days, hey, you don't want things to be too much in the past. But it's hard to ignore what the Raptors did on Wednesday night at Scotiabank Arena, coming in on the second night of a back-to-back, playing three games in four nights, facing the hottest team in the NBA, the Suns and the Magic at the time, having won seven straight games, Kevin Durant back in the lineup for Phoenix, and yet everything stacked against the Raptors, Jonesy, that I just laid out, Toronto somehow comes up with not just a victory, but an impressive victory, where they led for arguably 90-95% to of the game, overcame a Phoenix comeback to ultimately grab the lead back. And I'm going to say one thing on on top of all this, and then I'm handing it to you. One of our producers, well, actually both the producers, Mark Boffo and Austin Mackey, oh, you guys got to talk about Scotty Barnes. I'm not taking anything away from Scotty Barnes. Scotty was fantastic, especially in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. But, man, OG Ananobi shutting down Devin Booker in the first half then doing as best as he could trying to shut down or stall or stop Kevin Durant in the second half, to me only added to his resume or his case of, I might just be the best damn defender in the entire league. So I don't know where you stand on that, but everybody trying to give Scotty his flowers, and deservedly so, I I say make sure there's also a couple of flowers, if not a full bouquet for what, OG Ananobi did on Wednesday and what he's been doing for most of this season. Well, and and this is something that uh, I've talked about before with OG. He's an excellent defender, um, particularly in this day day and age of the NBA when you really can't, you really can't touch anybody. And they have, the way the game has gone, defense has been totally devalued. Uh, It's an offensive game now. You, you, you win and you become a good defensive team by just outscoring your opponent. And in the midst of all that, OG is standing out as a defender. He can guard all five positions. And here's the other thing, too. Now that he has, you know, I, I, I'll never forget Jose Calderon first coming to the league and talking about, you know, he says it where they, 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 they stick you with a stamp or a label. And whether it's true or not, or whether you try to change it or not and actually change it, that label follows you. And OG has the rep now as a good defender. And I think it's helping him out with the officials at times too. He made a block on Devin Booker late in the game that I would say, you know, for the most part, um, (laughs) any other player against Devin Booker making that play, he's going to get called for a foul. And OG got away with it. It was a great block. It was clean. And he did a terrific job. And you're right. He's a guy that uh, his versatility as a defender is unmatched. Now, I'll give Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam credit, too, for their defense. Because in this day and age, again, in the league, and, and, and the Raptors and, and Coach Darko are not doing that. But with all the indiscriminate switching and just the lazy, oh, there's a little exchange a little ghost screen a little rub screen let's get a switch 
The Raptors don't do that. But when they do switch to help OG, you've got Scotty and Pascal playing good defense too. So sometimes, you know, defenders thinking, well, you know what? I, I got to beat this guy because if I switch, I'm, I'm seeing a, a lengthy, agile Scotty Barnes or I'm seeing a tough, you know, Pascal, physical Pascal Siakam. So OG's defense has really kind of pulled everybody's level up, and I like it. I, I think he's doing a great job, and he's just validating the fact that he is a second team, and who knows this year, maybe first team all defender. You know, and, and Jones, you mentioned the play against Devin Booker uh, with the block, and, and that was outstanding, and it was potentially game-changing, no doubt about it, in terms of the flow and, and, and the momentum and everything else. But it was also dropping down the three. I believe Toronto had retaken the lead but was only leading by two, and, and it was kind of nip and tuck. Are the Suns going to make another run here? Are the Raptors going to give it up in the final couple of minutes, which unfortunately we've seen already a handful of times in the first 19, 20 games of the season. But it was an OG corner three right in front of the Phoenix bench that extended the lead to five, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been six, but I think it was extending it to five. And that kind of was maybe not the nail in the coffin, but it was pretty damn close. And again, I, I, maybe I sound like I'm taking away from Scotty or not giving him enough. We'll get to him, I suppose. But I continue to just just be so impressed with what we saw from Ananobi. And other than maybe a couple of games, a couple of games at most, OG's been dialed in and locked in arguably on both ends. And it's that much more impressive to think of what he's done offensively this year considering how much he's been needed defensively in so many different nights. Like, Jonesy, it's going back to last year, too, and you just made the point. He's guarding the other team's best player every single night. And it doesn't matter what position that best player is. He's guarding right. him. Like, he was, he was great. I mean, arguably speaking, the Raptors should have beaten Denver twice last year. He just made it so difficult for Jokic. Um, you, you think about this last road trip that the Raptors were on. He holds Donovan Mitchell or is a big part of holding Donovan Mitchell to 10 points. You know, uh, last night, or sorry, Wednesday night, um, Durant and Booker take 42 shots to get 38 points. Kevin Durant got 30 points, but it took him 30 shots. So, uh, you know, the Raptors, OG leading the charge, the Raptors defense has been pretty good. And, and you think about it. That's the effort that they need. We keep harping on the Raptors and their lack of consistency. That's the kind of effort that they need. And then taking care of all of the little things, Eric, that are costing them games. You think about the last few games, uh, the game against Brooklyn, which they arguably could have had, seven turnovers. In the Phoenix game, only 10 turnovers. They made free throws in the Phoenix game. They didn't, you know, they didn't do... Um, uh, they didn't make mistakes on little things like communication on defense, fouling jump shooters, like they, they out-rebounded the Suns. Like all of those little things that add up to the big things, they took care of in the Phoenix game. And if they can do that consistently, uh, you know, I, I think there, there's, a, there's a run in there where they can win four or five games in a row and in the East probably vault up the standings. And, that, and that's probably what it's going to take at some point, right, is putting together an extended streak. Because, you know, I say this, I suppose, critically, but I think it's fair. It's, I think it's a fair assessment. This team um, 
hovering around the 500 mark, essentially, as they have for most of the season, and we're now basically at the quarter point of the year, it's a surprise loss that you thought was going to be a win, followed by either the next game or a couple of games later, a surprise win that you thought might have been a loss. And it's kind of one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. At some point, the inconsistency needs to end when you find that consistency to your point of saying this is what it takes and requires every single night. And you tell me, am I making excuses or am I giving facts when I say, is this partly the new system? Is this partly the players learning the new coach? Is this partly the new rotation and new faces, even not the least of which being Dennis Schroeder? Is this still partly the second unit, which was struggling, which has been tweaked, which you got Grady now down in the G League and maybe not part of things, and Jalen McDaniels in and out, and Chris Boucher inconsistent minutes, but now it looks like Darko might be settling into more of a nine-man rotation, even an eight-man rotation on some nights, as opposed to the 10-plus that he was talking about early in the season. Like, I know I just threw a lot at you there, but are those excuses or are those facts? I think they're facts, Eric. I do. I, I think... Um, and, and I'll point to a team that's um, vaulted up the standings. And you and I talked about it because we had the game. I look at the Orlando Magic. Look at the skill level on the Magic and look at the skill level on the Raptors. Uh, and then you look at the way Orlando plays. And you look at the system that they are in, that they've grown together the last two or three years. Taking their lumps. And I think if, if you're Toronto... You're starting from a pretty good spot with the likes of Ananobi, Siakam. Uh, yeah, Scotty Barnes is still a young player. Precious Achua still only is, what, his fourth year in the league? Like, you have young pieces with some veterans, so you're starting from a good spot. But it's all new for them. And if they can look after, and this is part of the growing, and this is not an excuse, but it's something that you're saying, if they can look after all of those little elements, they will start to build consistency. And one of the big elements is a new coach and a new system. And for the most part, they look like they've, they've got the major part of the system. They've got the big things in the system down now. As you said, we're at the quarter pole and they're 500. They're, they got their head at the water level while doing the big things. Like you look at their defense, how good it is. Um, you know, Darko's concept about the .5 offense and the ball movement, it's working. They, ha they are one of the better assist teams in the league after years of being near the bottom. So the big things in the system are working. Now it's about tweaking the small things and doing them all the time so they're not the things costing you. So like I said, I, I think this team's ready to go at some point you're going to see a four or five game winning streak from this team. All right, Jonesy, let's bring into the conversation former NBA player, Suns broadcaster, Eddie Johnson. Eddie, uh, great to chat with you. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you right now, it is cold in Toronto here. We are at that point in the year where I am one of the most sour brothers around because golf courses are cold and it just starts to get cold. And I'm not getting a trip to Phoenix right now, so I'm not... I'm not happy, but it's good to be able to talk to you at least uh, about what's going on in the NBA. And um, how, how surprised were you that the Raptors were able to to take the take the Suns out because Phoenix was on a heater coming into Toronto? Yeah, they were. Uh, 
Excuse me. <clears throat> they were, uh, but they were as cold as your weather is right now last night, right? I mean, that was probably, you know, when you get immersed in a, in a winning streak, <clears throat> sooner or later you're going to have one of those nights. And the only way you can really survive it and still get a victory is you got to do the little things to be able to make up for the inability to shoot the ball as well as they've been shooting. And they, they weren't – Toronto was, wasn't uh, willing to allow that to happen. Uh, you know, they really was very aggressive in the paint last night with the Suns. And but Toronto Raptors seemed to have the Suns' number in regards to that. Because I remember last year, uh, same thing. I think the Suns gave up, I don't know how many offensive rebounds. It was like a team record or something uh, against the Suns last year. So they definitely have the remedy uh, to be able to give the Suns trouble. And uh, just one of those nights, but it was a good win for the Raptors. I mean, they shot the ball well. They had timely shots all night. When the Suns got the lead by two in the third quarter, they came back, hit a three. Uh, Suns knocked it to two a number of times. They came back, hit a three. Achua, see, I knew the night was over when Precious Achua knocked one down from three, and he's shooting like 20-something percent from the field from three. So I knew it was you guys' night last night. Hey, Eddie, let, let me ask you this. As, as a guy who's been there as a player for so many years, let, let me twist it over to, to your side, to the Phoenix side of things. Uh, Jonesy and I often talk about, and we, we already did on this show, the Raptors proving so many times already this year that they can hang with the best of the best, but also proving that they can also play down to the level of competition and can be beat by anybody on any given night. And that's their biggest issue right now, is maybe trying to find that consistency. If this is looking at it purely from a Suns lens, was this a game where, to your point maybe, they had an off night against a team they should have beaten? Or was this a team that gave them a good punch and they simply lost the game? You know what I'm saying? Like, did they play down and was that an inconsistent effort from them? Or was this an earned victory for the Raptors? I think it was a combination of two. Because the Suns were playing well coming in. Uh, and as bad as the Suns were, they still had a chance to win, right? So uh, probably any other team, probably the Suns probably would have lost by double figures. Like Philly a couple of weeks ago uh, beat the Suns before their winning streak started uh, and just drilled them. Suns didn't shoot the ball well. They struggled. Uh, got, got, Got hot late, but it was just, too late for that, and they just Philly ran away with the game. Uh, you know, obviously Toronto has some things to work on. I mean, obviously, you know, the outside shooting has to continue to improve. I think they have a number of guys that play, like, similar to each other. And Pascal, obviously, Barnes, and uh, God, I got brain lock on his name, but you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, from Indiana. And an OB. Yeah, and an OB. Indi- uh, OG. So, OG. Yeah. yeah, OG. OG. Yeah, those three guys play a lot similar to one another, and I think that's always an adjustment. Uh, but, no, I, I give them credit. I mean, defensively, they were good. Uh, Devin had a really tough night shooting, uh, even before he sprained his ankle. Uh, KD didn't shoot the ball well. So you have to credit that to their defense and uh, how they played the Suns and took some things away. So, uh, obviously, the head coach is familiar with Devin. So, it's just a lot of things were in their fact, fate factor last night. And then, too, 
They played the night before. See, people always think you play the night before, you're going to have fatigue. That is a distinct advantage against, against a team, especially, that's been sitting there for two days waiting. Hmm. And I just thought they were the more hmm. aggressive. They had the more alertness in them. And uh, I think the Suns paid a price. Eddie, I'm, I'm looking at the Suns and – uh, with the Bradley Beal move in the offseason, it's unfortunate that he's been injured and hasn't been able to play. I still look at the Suns and say, when he comes back, he's a veteran. He doesn't need a whole lot of time to integrate. Like he, he knows how to play. And, you know, it'll take him a while, but he'll find where his shots are coming from and, and, and find his way on the defensive end. And by the way, Frank, a, a typical Frank Vogel team, man, they played hard defensively, the Suns, against the Raptors. But I think Phoenix is a championship team. Do you agree? And if you don't, what do you think they're missing? Because I, I think that you guys could be holding a parade in June in, in Phoenix. I really, really do. No, without a doubt, we're a championship team. Uh, we have all the ingredients. I think a lot of people look down and frowned upon all the, like, the minimum wage signings they had uh, after they acquired Bradley Beal. But I thought they did a tremendous job in who they got. And I think people are seeing that. Like, Bates Diop is, is won games for us this year. Uh, Nasir Little, who we didn't have, and he had been playing very well last night, uh, he has been playing excellent. I think you saw how Goodwin played last night. Uh, we didn't have Grayson Allen. And Grayson Allen obviously has shown so far he's one of the better three-point shooters in the league this season. Uh, so we didn't have him. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I think the guys that we have to surround our big three is tremendous. And Nurkic, I think, is starting to find his way. I thought he got off to a slow start offensively this season, trying to pick and choose when he can be aggressive, when he can't. And I think now he's figured that out. And so he had a very good game, especially in the first half last night. So I think we have the ingredients. I do. I think with those three guys on the floor – and the game is close. Uh, I'll put I'll put the money on our team because we got you talking about three of the best clutch shooters in the game on one team, and they're very unselfish too. They they really don't take a ton of shots. Uh, they pass the ball. Uh, so yeah, I just can't wait for it to happen for them. It's been frustrating that they've had to deal with the injuries, and Devin probably will miss a couple of games coming up here with a sprained ankle last night. Who knows? Uh, but it just hasn't had much continuity in regards to having those three on the floor. Hey, Eddie, I, I want to pick out one name that you just mentioned. We were talking to uh, your colleague Tim Kempton on, on Wednesday evening about this guy as well and, and, and looking back to the off season. And, Jonesy, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit here because it's, it's your line and you keep talking about it and you're bang on. When you think back to what happened in the summertime with the Milwaukee Bucks and the acquisition of, uh, of, of Dame Lillard, and Drew Holiday goes to Portland, but then all of a sudden gets flipped to Boston. And if you're the Bucks sitting there going, all right, we, we, we got Dame, but then Drew Holiday ends up on basically our, our prime competition. We're probably going to be 1-2 in the East or at least in the top three, top four. And now all of a sudden there we see our guy on the Boston Celtics. And then you look across and see a guy like Grayson Allen, who was a key cog in Milwaukee as well, as a 3-and-D guy, as a pest, as a, just a great rotation player for them and a key part of what the Bucks were doing. And I look at this Bucks team now and think, would they not be better if they had just stayed with what they had with Grayson Allen and with Drew Holiday? Because 
Man, I thought that was a huge piece for the Suns in getting Grayson Allen. That was a fantastic pickup for them in the offseason. Yeah, well, well, yeah, we love Grayson. I mean, not only he worked on his body in the offseason, he's strong. He's more than just a three-point shooter. He can put the ball on the floor. Uh, he will dunk it on you. Uh, he plays very aggressive, no-nonsense type player. He and Eric Gordon together have been tremendous uh, for the Suns this, this year. So, yeah, I mean, the Suns weren't going to do that deal uh, that, they, that they were involved in if Grayson Allen was not a part of that deal. And so that's who they wanted, and they were able to get him from Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee, obviously, yeah, they gave up, uh, obviously, arguably the best perimeter defender in the league, at, especially at the guard position, and through Holiday. But what they got was one of the greatest scores in the history of this game in Dame Lillard. And so what the Milwaukee Bucks did is they traded their defense for their offense. Like, they, 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 the last two years, even though known as a tremendous defensive team, they came up short since they won the championship. And so what they did was, knowing that Giannis, you know, is getting older in the tooth, and do you want to keep depending on him, depending on him, and, and putting all the pressure on him? Chris Middleton, obviously, dealing with his injury. Do you go out and you hurt your defense, but you get a tremendous score in Dame Lillard? And I think that's what they did. And what we're seeing this year so far, yeah, they got a they got a, a tremendous record, but it, it it looks ugly, right? All their games look ugly. They're down twenty. They're losing by twenty. Uh, they're having to scratch and claw to win at the end. But historically, that's what great offensive teams did. Like they just knew ultimately that they were going to outscore you. And I think that's the mindset right now with Milwaukee. And so we'll see how that works out. Come playoff time, I think they'll be fine because I think Middleton will be a lot healthier and he can defend. I think Giannis and Brooke Lopez are still man the middle, so I think they'll get better. Dame will get better in his responsibilities on the court and making sure that he doesn't put himself in vulnerable positions defensively. So I'm not really like down on them to the to the utmost like a lot of people. I just think you know when you add offense and give up defense, then you know you really have to really work a little bit harder to make sure everything works. Well, Eddie, I'm, I'm laughing because uh, you, uh, me, and, and Eric, to a sense, from when he started covering the league, we've seen this thing change. We've seen the game evolve to the point where I really feel the NBA's devalued defense. And in the, in the old words of Mike D'Antoni, hey, man, the best defensive team is the one that has the most points at the end of the game. And which, to me, going back to what I said before, makes Phoenix a championship team because they can score it, man. When you got Durant, you got Booker, you got Beal, and the support guys that we saw in the game against Toronto, and then Frank Vogel is still one of those coaches that is cut from that old school cloth where you better defend. I know we're going to score, but we need to make it difficult for the other guys. And I, Eddie, I'm looking at. You know, like the play-in tournament next week. The, the Suns have drawn the Lakers. Conference yeah, opponent, yeah. You, might, you might see them in the playoffs. And does this game have any more juice? It is a regular season game. It's a play-in tournament game. Is it... Do you look at it as, yeah, this is a game that it, it, it means something not only now but down the road? 
Oh, without a doubt. I mean, in, in regards to the West Coast, I mean, the Suns-Lakers robbery has been going on, you know, at a high level, obviously, since the, since the late 80s. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of vitriol. you got a lot of California people that live in Phoenix and vice versa. And so they always travel well, both teams. And so, yeah, without a doubt. Now, they've beaten us twice this year. Games were extremely close early in the year, and we've never been healthy. Uh, but they can argue they haven't been healthy with their utility players. Uh, but we haven't been healthy. So far this year, healthy, and we probably won't even on Tuesday. So, yeah, but it's something you want to measure without a doubt. It's going to be difficult uh, because anytime LeBron can sniff a chance to win something, right, at a high level, he tends to step it up, right? And so it's always going to be a challenge when dealing with he and Anthony Davis. But, yeah, we do feel like we can go in there and get that win and, and be one of those teams in Vegas. You like the play in, Eddie? Yeah, I do. I I I love it. I think you know. I I played in Europe one year during the middle part of my career. I just got tired of the NBA and actually just got on the plane and went and played in Greece for a year. Everybody thought I was crazy, but I had a tremendous time and I was able to reset myself before I came back to the NBA. And I enjoyed it. And, and so they had the in-season tournament there, and so I got a, a feel for how that worked as well. And, yeah, I think it's tremendous. I have no issue with it at all. I think a lot of people are just overboard. It just drives me nuts. Like, I grew up, guys, like, especially with the point differential stuff. Like, I grew up, like, when I was taught the game, I was taught by my brothers and my coaches to destroy whoever was in front of me. Like, destroy them. Take their confidence. Take this not Roman. This is not the Roman days where you get in the middle of a ring and you could battle somebody and then you kind of kill them at the end. This is a game. That's all it is is a game. And for people complaining about a point differential, I just laugh because it's like, no, get better. Andre Drummond, don't get mad at Boston because they hack a drum at you. Go learn how to shoot damn free throws, man. Like, you know, don't, don't complain when you're between the lines playing basketball. I just find that just – it just bothers me. And for parents that always want to complain about it, go make your kid better. Get your butt up at 6 o'clock in the morning and take them to the court and help them get better instead of wanting somebody else to be nice to them. No, ain't no nice. Ain't no nice. Hey, if we go go out on the golf course, I am telling you, I want to take your soul, okay? (laughs) All right? Look. I'm not cheering for you. I hope you hit the ball off your foot into the woods. I don't care. I want to win. And that's how I grew up, man. <laughs> now, we can laugh and joke after that. We can have fun. you my boy. All of that, right? But no, no. While we're in competition, uh-uh. It, it, it's no friends. And, and to me, these guys that play in the league today, they're just soft-natured in that respect, and it just drives me nuts. Well, I, I, that's that's a societal thing and a discussion for another day, Eddie. Because uh, I agree. I, I, I look at uh, uh, you know I look at I look at the way things have gone in the league. And back in the '80s, every foul t- would have been reviewed, and it, it's it's basically a flagrant one. Um, 
the West, the Western Conference, Eddie. I look at Denver. Are they in a spot where they can repeat and keep it going, or do you think people have kind of caught on to some of what they're doing, and the loss of a you know like a Bruce Brown really hurts them? Give me your your prospects on on Denver for this season because, I mean, Jokic is a tremendous player, but we know the mark of you know of greatness is can you do it again? Yeah, well, and, and no team has done it in five years, right? No team has right. went back to back, so we know it's very difficult, and we know parity is here uh, to stay for a while, and that's a beautiful part of the game, and that's what I love. Look at what Orlando is doing right now. Right, Dallas has surprised people uh, the way they're playing. Even Houston is not a gimme now anymore. So there's a lot of parity in the league, and so it makes it very difficult to be able to repeat. Uh, the thing with Denver, man, is like people don't realize like Toronto has length and and and, and big bodies, and and that's what the problem was last night for the Suns, right? And dealing with that, well, Denver takes it to another level, man. Like. People don't realize how big they are. Like Aaron Gordon's going six nine. You got Michael Porter Jr. who's six ten. And you got Jokic who's boarding on seven feet. All right, so and then Jamal Murray is about six four and a half, six five. Like, I don't know, people think he might be smaller than what he is. No, he's not. Like and and Catavius Caldwell Pope, six five. You know, they come in with Reggie Jackson off the bench, who about six four. Like, they they are long, they're tall, and I think they create so many problems, man. So, no, they're not going anywhere. I, I think they're the favorite still. I'm not going to take it from them until somebody proves me wrong. Uh, but you saw the other night, Reggie Jackson, man, stepped up and just had 35 and 13. Like, you know, DeAndre Jordan came off his deathbed and had 21 and 12. Like, I just no. I think they're still they're here to stay, man. I I I think they're the team you have to deal with, and playing at altitude gives them a distinct home court advantage as well. Hey Eddie, when you talk about Denver and not taking anything away from them, let me let me let me look kind of bigger picture um, at the rest of the league overall. Uh, outside of the Suns, because I understand that's that's close to your heart, and understandably so. Is there a team or even an individual or two that excites you or that you enjoy watching play, whether it's just pure skill, whether it's just the way they play the game, the way they approach the game? Who do you enjoy if you're sitting down with a cold beer and just watching it on a, on a Phoenix off night? Well, again, I'm, like I always play. I didn't never get the chance to play on, like, dominant teams. You know, we I, I was on teams that built itself close to a dominant team, right? So – Mm-hmm. The Suns in the late 80s, uh, the Seattle Supersonics in the early 90s, uh, and then obviously Houston at the end of my career. Uh, Larry Johnson could never stay healthy in, in Charlotte, so we never really knew how that would pan out. Uh, and then in Indiana, you had Reggie and you had the Davis boys and Rick Smith and Mark Jackson. We had a very talented team. Uh, so, I mean, I've been able to experience that. Uh, but I'm telling you, the, the teams that I love to watch are teams that are the underdogs, right? Teams that come from nowhere and people who have low expectations. And so I love watching Orlando right now. Uh, I, I think I, I love what Jamal Mosley has done down there. 
uh, how he has gotten them guys to buy in, especially defensively. They're long as well. They have great guard play. These Those guys just hustle and play hard. Their forwards are tough to deal with. Uh, it's just a lot about them. They've won eight in a row now, so they're proving a point. So I love watching them play, uh, without a doubt. Uh, over in the West, I mean, I'm obviously I'm loving what M.A. Doka is doing down in Houston. Uh, Jim Goon is proven to be one of the tremendous big men in the league. Uh, so I love watching them and seeing them evolve and, and how they play. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, you know, I lean to my favorites. Like, you know, I think Paul will tell you, like, LeBron's my favorite player. And I know people in Toronto hate for me to say that because, you know, of what he did to you all for those years he was in Cleveland. Wasn't my fault. Okay, it wasn't my fault. He was mad at me. <laughs> hey, but, man, he did it to everybody in the East, not just Toronto. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, but the uh, city was named after him after a while, LeBron, though, right? When they start <laughs> yeah, bl- blame Jonesy's but, brother for that one, Eddie. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I love I love watching him play. Uh, uh, he's always been one of my favorites. I love watching MB play, man. Like, people get on me. They say, oh, you just hate on Jokic. I don't hate on Jokic. Like, no, Embiid, I just like Embiid better. That's all. Like, I don't yeah. hate on Jokic. I just like Embiid better. That's all. I like his dominance. I like how he, I like how I like his personality on the court. Uh, just a lot of things I just enjoy watching about him play. And so, yeah, I, I would say, you know, those guys for sure. Yeah. Hey, Eddie, if Embiid decided to – give you everything he had every night, he would be he would be even more dominant than he is now. But from your seat at at, uh, at the arena, Eddie, it's got to be great to be able to see Kevin Durant every night. I mean, we saw him on Wednesday night in Toronto, and uh, we always laugh about this. Big guys want to be listed as smaller, and small guys want to be listed as bigger. He's still listed at 6'10 or 6'11. I'm telling you, man, he ran out for the starting intro, standing beside Nurkic. I'm like... This cat's grown since he's come into the league. He's got, he came in as a teenager. He's got to be seven feet, maybe seven one now. And with his skill set, that has got to be something fun for you to watch every night too. I, I will tell you, look, KD has is, is always been one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, uh, and, you know, he's gotten mad over, at me over the years, not only because I was a little bit mad at him because he went to Golden State. Because uh, I knew automatically when he went there, they, they would win a title. So it was almost like, you know, don't be mad at me, man. I like, I'm I'm mad at you because I know you're getting ready to win back to back titles. You're gonna you, because you're that good. Uh, he's one of the most beautiful basketball players, man, in the league, or probably I've ever seen. Uh, I'm telling you, I was really close to probably, you know, calling it quits with my analyst work because I've been doing this for 24 years. And I, I just, there's no way I would want to give it up now. As long as he's in the Suns uniform and, and, and Devin Booker's running next along. They're two of my favorite players in the league. Even if I wasn't working for the Suns or, or supporting another team. Uh, because those two guys, they play basketball, man. Like, I love, I love to play. Like, I, I just, you know, it's just, it's just a beautiful art to how they score. They love the mid-range. They take whatever you give them. They can score anywhere on the court. 
it's like it's just beautiful to watch, man. And and then I get a chance to sit there courtside and, and call games and watch them play every night. Eddie, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting again soon, hopefully seeing you one of these days. All the best. Yeah, yeah. good luck to you all up there. Look, if they keep playing like they did last night, they'll be fine. Jeez. That was Suns broadcaster and from Sirius XM NBA Radio, of course, longtime NBA player as well, Eddie Johnson. When we come back, we will continue to talk about the play-in tournament and actually a few little Raptor memories as well. It's Smith & Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Smith & Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Make sure you are subscribed to Smith & Jones as well on your favorite podcast platform, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks again to Eddie Johnson for joining us to kick off the show. And Jonesy, I did tease at the beginning that it was another jam show, and it was supposed to be. We had a guest scheduled. Unfortunately, due to some scheduling difficulties and whatever, uh, we weren't able to hook up with him, but I'm hoping that we'll have him on either next week or in the next couple of weeks. We've been making a point of trying to reach out to former Raptors for probably the last year, if not two years, on this show. And we had a cool one lined up this week again. Just something went wrong, but we'll hook up with him again soon. But Chris Childs was going to join us on the show. Now, I haven't had a chance to speak to him in, I don't even know, 15, 20 years probably. But if I recall correctly, back in the day when you were still doing some work with NBA TV, or excuse me, with Raptors TV. You already still do work with NBA TV Canada, but you were doing work with Raptors TV back in the day. And what was it called, like off the court or off the hardwood? Or it was off the hardwood? Off the, off the hardwood, producer Rick Davis, and he did an yep. excellent job of And you would, finding, you would go out, like, eating dinners and yeah. going to, I don't know, playing video games and shooting hoops. Or what, but you had an episode with Chris Childs, right? Yeah, we, we had a lot of them. I, it was, there was the, it's gone viral now. The interview with Steph and Seth Curry and mom and dad, Dell and Sonia and the Sidel, the little sister when, uh, you know, they were grade schoolers. Uh, we had Tracy Murray at the Royal Ontario Museum, uh, breakfast with Lenny Wilkins. There was, and one of my favorite episodes was, uh, going to the golf dome, the downtown golf dome, just close to the old Sky Dome, now the Rogers Center, with Chris Childs. And I was just kind of starting to get into golf at that point, you know, 99, 2000, 2002, three. And, and, and Chris was, I, I don't want to say he was an accomplished golfer, but he had a passion for the game and uh, was, like any athlete, working at it. So that's one thing I remember. And and Eric, I remember when the trade was made uh, for Chris Childs uh, for Mark Jackson, and I I kind of scratched my head initially, and somebody uh, outside of Toronto, an NBA front office guy outside of Toronto, said, "Listen, who do you want on your team in the playoffs when it comes to?" And remember, a different era of the league, with tougher defense and more physical. Who do, who do you want on your team? At that point. When it's mm -hmm. defense and it's the playoffs, do you want Chris Childs or Mark Jackson? And when you look at the defense, this person said, you want Chris Childs. So it was, it was kind of interesting. And I did flash back to the second game ever in Raptors history where they were down big against Indiana uh, at halftime. And Brendan Malone, having coached Mark Jackson with the Knicks and knowing about him, uh, just said to the rest of the team, get out of the way, Damon, go at him. And you could actually see Mark Jackson in his defensive stance looking over to the sideline to Brendan Malone, kind of like 
kind of like a mob thing, like, oh, so you know my weakness. This is how you do me, huh? This is, <laughs> this is what you're going to do to me, huh? And, and the Raptors made a comeback, lost the game, uh, probably because of Dale Davis, Antonio Davis, Derek McKee, and Reggie Miller. But um, I, I remember that, and it, it stuck in my head later on that, yeah, if you want defense, maybe you want Chris Childs. Although, I got to tell you, Mark Jackson was a heck of a player. But I, I do remember the trade for Chris Childs and bringing him to Toronto. Well, it's funny you talk about him as, as a golfer and as a, a sports guy in general. Grew up playing baseball, uh, grew up playing football. Basketball was like the third sport that he came to and, and ultimately went undrafted, as good as he was, undrafted. And that's part of the reason we want to talk to him. So, again, we'll hopefully hook up with him in the next couple of weeks because it certainly plays into you know the, the arc, the career arc of a lot of Raptors. I mean, most notably in, in recent memory, obviously, with Fred Van Vliet, but just NBA players in yeah. general, professional athletes in general, the, the sort of stick to and the, the trust in yourself, the confidence in yourself as an athlete, as, let alone as a, as a person, the determination that it takes to get to that next level and to be uh, you know, a guy that plays a decade plus in the league and that, 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 that is known forever in, in the, you know, with due respect to his time in Toronto and the contribution he made in his brief time here, he will forever be you know, in, intertwined in the history of the New York Knicks for just the type of player he was on that yeah. team specifically back then in the late 90s with that Knicks squad. Like, he will forever be a New Yorker, California kid, but a New Yorker through and through because of putting on that Knicks uniform in that era. And, and, and the physicality with which he played, Eric. He was, it was that era where you were allowed to be that physical, and, and Chris Childs is one of those guys. And, you know, there's, there's a famous... Uh, video out there that, uh, you know, I'm sure people have seen it. It's gone viral of Draymond Green naming the 36 guys. I think he was drafted 37th, but he names the 36 guys in order who were drafted before him. To your point about believing in yourself and your stick to and, uh, you know, Draymond Green, a second round draft pick, Chris Childs. Uh, Chris told me that at one point, he would practice in the summer in a T-shirt that had the name of every guy that was drafted that he felt he was better than. He said it was like he had he practiced in this T-shirt with all these names on it, just as a you know a way to motivate himself. And you're right, he he made a mark in the league. He, he New Yorkers remember him for the way he played and what he brought to that team. Well, speaking of New York, uh, one of the eight teams in the in-season tournament and they've had a decent year overall as well like you know for as much as we've talked about i don't know maybe this is a backhanded compliment in in some sense or maybe it's actually more criticism of the knicks as much as we've given love even on this show specifically like this week to the orlando magic and rightfully so for what they've been doing the knicks are one of those teams as well that we've kind of been waiting for them to take that next step to take that next leap and it, it just hasn't quite really come yet I think we kind of got teased a little bit last year, but maybe we're starting to see this year, Jonesy. They're, they're not quite having an Orlando run quite yet, but they are among you know the top five, six teams in the East. They are in a locked-in playoff spot right now, and they've locked themselves in for the in-season tournament. And we've got the games on, on Monday, Tuesday, uh, let alone then looking ahead to the semifinals and the finals in, in Vegas coming up next weekend. I'm sure that's something we'll discuss on, on the next episode of the uh, of the show. But, Jonesy, when you look at the teams that ultimately made it through, Boston facing Indiana, 
New Orleans against Sacramento. New York has to deal with Milwaukee, Phoenix, and the Lakers. There's a lot of intriguing matchups. And I was not a critic, but absolutely a skeptic of this in-season tournament. And I've kind of enjoyed it. And I think the reason I enjoy it is the way that they've been able to set this thing up where the games still matter. They're still regular season games, but just with the added incentive. And I think that's what makes it intriguing. That's why I think it could or will work long term for the league. I like it, Eric. I, I, I do. I, I, I like what they've done. Um, listen, I, I'm I guess I'm I'm built or cut differently to me every game matters in the regular season i just i just love to watch i'm not i'm not one of the um recent fans that uh, oh you know the regular season's terrible wait till we get to the playoffs i love the regular season i just adore the playoffs and there's nothing like big men playing for a ring and you've kind of duplicated that in a sense in the in-season tournament early in the season i mean you know, I've said this before. Uh, you know, LeBron made reference to winning five hundred thousand, right? He said this five hundred thousand, right? So he's playing for the money. And I said, um, my equivalent is like the FedEx Cup in golf. There are four majors in golf. The, you know, the Masters, the PGA, the, the U.S. and the and and the Open. And when they brought it in, people's like, "Oh, come on, playoffs in golf like this FedEx Cup kind of hokey." And then all of a sudden it got validated because Tiger Woods won the first two and he took the money and all of a sudden people saw it as something that, hey, I want to win that too. Tigers won it. So somebody's going to win here and somebody's going to get that, that cup and it may lose its luster over the course of the next five, six, seven seasons, but then it may grow to something that people really want to win, want to have their name on it. It's not the Larry O'Brien, but... It is a championship within the NBA. So uh, I, I like what they've done. I, I, you know, I like that um, these games have a little bit more juice. And as competitors, the players feel that. And everybody's going to be watching when, that, when, that, uh, when the final eight starts to kick off in that, in that week. Yeah, I, I guess this is, again, the skeptic in me, not the critic in me. I think that at the end of the day, if we can get players reacting to a dramatic victory in game 16 or game 56, we can absolutely get players reacting in a dramatic fashion for a big win in a quote-unquote championship. I don't know if they're going to get jacked up about the trophy or having their name engraved, but I think a win is a win. And if you get yourself into the position where you're in the semis, let alone you're in the finals, and to your point, if you're an NBA fan, you're going to be watching that game. There's no doubt it's going to have intrigue and drama. I mean, I don't know if you saw the email that went out on Thursday, but there was an email that, that went around that was sent out by the league. And listen, this is part of their job to obviously promote and pump their tires and, and everything else. But the viewership for a comparable regular season game at this point last year, I'm, I'm trying to find it as we're talking here. Yeah, I've got it right here. The Kings-Warriors game. At least, and again, these are these are U.S. numbers. I, I got to assume they might be somewhat similar in Canada for for television, whether it was broadcast on Sportsnet or otherwise. But the viewership on TNT for the Kings Warriors game earlier in the week was up 93 percent when compared with a comparable window to last year. And then it says viewership for the NBA in-season tournament group play on ESPN and TNT 
was up 26% overall versus last season in a comparable window of games. So again, those are U.S. numbers, but that alone says it's been a success because if more eyeballs are watching, that means more people are seeing the commercials and the advertisers. That means more money for the league, and it means it's a win-win in the end, which obviously offsets the fact that you're going to be dropping how many millions of dollars shelling out $500,000 bonuses for every single player on the roster for whoever ends up winning this thing next Saturday. It's a win for the league. You said it, E. It's a, it, it is a win for the league. They have wanted to uh, you know, renew interest, spark interest in the regular season particularly before Christmas. And I think it was strategic the way they did that. I mean, everybody tunes in at Christmas. Uh, the NFL, I wouldn't say it's winding down, but they're, in their, they're, they're heading toward their playoff window. Uh, college football is kind of winding down. And, and so, you know, the NBA really takes center stage once you hit January, February, March. But what do you do for the first part of the season? So they come up with this tournament and you know, it, it just goes to show competitors. I mean, these, these players, you know, they know there's there's five hundred thousand dollars per player on the line and and they want that. They're competitors. And so I give I give the league a lot of credit and all the little, um, you know, amenities that go with it. You know, the the third uniform being worn on 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 uh, tournament night, the, the 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 new courts, all of those things. I, I, I give them credit for that. Uh, I think there's going to be some tweaks, though. Uh, I think going forward, they're going to, you know, make make a few moves. I can see them changing the tiebreaker system. Uh, you know, I can I can see them, uh, you know, maybe changing the groups. Although I like the groups, I like that it's not divisions because some of the divisions are imbalanced. Uh, there was a there was an email out there the way they chose each group of five depending on records and all of these things. So. I like that. I, I, I would change, for me, i change the tiebreaker system. That would be it. But I, I like what the league has done, and I like the interest that it sparked. You know, Jonesy, I'll say one last thing here. I, I, I'm going to assume you're going to want to comment as well because I think you're probably in a similar viewpoint as well. But the one thing that I like more than anything is even if it didn't work, the league is willing to try something. They did it with the play-in game. Uh, or the play-in seeds for the for the playoffs. Now they're doing it with the in-season tournament. And while other leagues, I don't know, maybe this isn't completely fair because the NBA. Listen, it's not like they're not without some warts and some bumps and bruises as well. No doubt about that. But while other league, and I'm not talking about individual players. That's a whole other thing. Like Josh Giddy, we can't even get into that because we don't know the details. But there are warts certainly in the NBA. But other leagues, let's say most notably the National Hockey League, in recent weeks or in the last week and a half tripping over themselves trying to decide whether Marc-Andre Fleury can or can't or should or shouldn't wear a mask in a pregame let alone in a game and whether that's allowed or certain jerseys or tape on a stick or whatever the NBA embraces the possibility of change and the possibility of doing new things and the ability to empower their players and their teams and to give them a voice as well. And from that standpoint alone, I respect what the NBA is doing and has done for quite some time, especially under Adam Silver, not to say it wasn't under David Stern, but especially under Adam Silver and especially of late. Yeah, I think David Stern uh, got the ball rolling. Uh, he saw a big picture. Um, you know, again, I people know that have listened to the show and have met me before that I was there in 92 when the NBA 
sent its first team overseas and they were bigger than the Olympics. Uh, everybody will talk about 92 in Barcelona and the thing that stands out the most is, you know, uh, an NBA Hall of Fame team playing in the Olympics. And that was David Stern, uh, his first step in making the game global. And look at what we have now. Look at, I believe, over 100 international players uh, in the NBA. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the exact number, but, you know, our country has more players in the NBA than any other country in the world except for the United States. So uh, David Stern started it, and I think what's happened with Adam Silver and his continued progressiveness and the league's continued, um, you know, ideas on pushing this thing forward and inclusion has has made it a made it a better game and it and made uh, the NBA one of the best leagues in the world in any professional sport. So give them credit and I give them credit for this in-season tournament. And hey, let's watch it over the next few years. Maybe it really takes off. All right, thanks again to Eddie Johnson for joining us on the show this week. And again, we will hope to hook up with Chris Childs and many more, uh, well, guests and former Raptors and, and players and whatnot next week or in the coming weeks as well. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise download, subscribe, rate, and review with fresh content coming every Thursday on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. For Paul Jones and our producers, Austin Mackey and Mark Boffo, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones.